Well, good morning. Hey guys, welcome to Grace. If you have your Bibles, turn with me now to the book of Philippians. We began a new summer series on the book of Philippians called The Fight for Joy last week. And uh, we did an overview of the book of Philippians, major themes. Uh, The major theme really is that of joy in the Christian life. So that's what we're going to continue on this morning in part two. And uh, I've entitled my sermon, Joy in the Gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be a few Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. And uh, the text should be on the screen if you don't have access to to either of those. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning in the fight for joy. As you're turning to Philippians 1, uh, I'm going to ask you to pray with me one more time. And uh, we'll dive right into the book of Philippians, this wonderful, wonderful little letter about joy in the Christian life. So let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you so much that we can come together, that we can humbly sit under your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us on a myriad of issues. And uh, thank you in particular that you show us how Christians, those of us who follow you through your son, Jesus Christ, are enabled by the Holy Spirit, can have joy. Father, we all confess to you that we all find uh, false joy in many things, and that oftentimes our joy is tied up in wrong things and uh, so tied to our circumstances. Father, we want to go beyond that by your help, and we want to find joy in the things that you say should give us joy as born-again Christians. And so help us to hear you and help us to pursue these avenues of joy, yes, for our good and for our joy, but ultimately for your glory, because when we find joy in the things that give you pleasure, then you are glorified. And so help us to be joy-seeking people, to be joy-filled people. And, and in doing so, as Paul says later in this letter, we'll be lights that shine like stars in a dark world because we're full of joy in Christ. And so help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. I want to begin with a story this morning. Uh, I got a timely phone call from uh, one of my old friends from back in Dallas. He doesn't currently live in Dallas. He lives in North Carolina. Uh, He doesn't live with his parents. He is, if I were to guess, maybe 23 or 24. And uh, I got to know him because one of his families was kind of a, a, just a wonderful host family at the church that I was in in Dallas. And so I want to share with you a little bit about that conversation that I had with him because it was perfectly timed. I got to use it as a sermon illustration. Uh, But also, I think it does illustrate what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that is finding joy in the gospel. Now, there's something you need to know about my friend. His name is Clay, Clay Giles, and he has uh, what I would describe as severe disabilities. He has severe disabilities. In fact, he has uh, severe disabilities from muscular dystrophy. I don't know exactly his story, but from a very young age, his muscles began to deteriorate, in particular in his lower half of his body. So his legs uh, are, are, very, are very small. They're very shriveled. Uh, he doesn't have much muscle capacity there. As he began to grow and get a little older, uh, his arms and his uh, torso began to deteriorate a little bit as well. He has been, for a vast majority of his life, confined to a wheelchair. He has one of those electronic wheelchairs, and he can get around faster than I can most places. And he, uh, he enjoys driving that thing around and the ease that he, it gives him. So uh, the thing that you need to know about Clay, uh, number one, is that he's a Christian. He's been born again, and uh, he's, a, I think, a godly young man, and I've enjoyed 
fellowship with him and conversations with him in the past, he also is confined to his wheelchair and needs 24-hour, seven days a week, caretakers. And so what that means is he no longer lives with his family, which is a big deal, but he lives on his own in his own apartment, and he has people around the clock watch over him, care for him. And as you can imagine, um, he has very even limited use of his hands. And so there are a few things that he can do with his hands, but, but not many. And so Clay is very dependent. He is dependent upon his caretakers. He is dependent upon his wheelchair. And yet one of the things that marks Clay uh, in my history with him is the joy that he has as a Christian and how well he handles what I think you and I, if we were in his shoes, would be a very difficult thing to do. And so Clay called me this week and he was sharing with me uh, some good news. I could tell he was excited. I could, I could hear it in his voice that he was excited and happy and joyful to, to share this news with me. And he went on to say that he uh, has three caretakers uh, around the clock. Two of those caretakers are Christians. And he rejoiced in that. He rejoiced in the fact that he could have fellowship and gospel conversations, that he could talk about the Bible with these two caretakers. But he mostly shared with me his relationship or his conversations with his third caretaker who was not a Christian. She's not an unbeliever. And I don't think he would mind me sharing. Her name is Molly. We need to pray for her. And so he went on to share with me how, first of all, he was excited because he was getting together with the two caretakers who were Christians. Because as he said in his, wor- in his words, I need to get in the word because I'm having conversations with Molly, who's an unbeliever, and she's asking me questions. In fact, he said she, he was in the shower the other day and they were talking, of course, through the, you know, through the screen. And Molly asked him, hey, Clay, who's Deborah in the Bible? And he said, you're going to ask me about Deborah in the shower? And he said, think, Clay, who's Deborah? And so he said the Holy Spirit gave him the answer. But they've been having conversations about religion, about Christianity, about faith, even though Molly uh, first told him when she took the job, hey, I'll, I'll talk with you about anything except for two things. What do you think they are? Politics and religion. And he said, okay, but, well, apparently that's been happening, and they've been talking about Christ. And he said, I really need to understand the Bible. I need to understand better, so when I have conversations with Molly, I can, I can give a good account. And so he was so excited about starting a Bible study with his two caretakers who were Christians. And he was calling me to get some curriculum that I had written because they wanted to use it, and I was happy to give it to him. And so he was joyful over these relationships that he has had with his Christian brothers, and then he was super excited and sharing with me these conversations that he's having with this unbeliever. And the joy was undeniable. He had great joy in Christian fellowship, in gospel partnership, if you will. And he had great joy in gospel sharing, in gospel proclamation. He was super excited to share Jesus with this young lady. And so, getting back to the book of Philippians... Clay's situation is kind of like the situation that we see Paul in as he writes this letter. You may remember from last week that he's writing it under house arrest in the city of Rome, the center of the known world. In that day, it was like the New York City or the Paris of the world, and he is under house arrest, so he's confined and yet can still have conversations with people. And really, Clay's situation, as I thought about it was very similar to Paul's. Uh, Clay, though not confined by chains, of course, is confined by, well, his situation. It's confined by his physical disease. And not only that, that, but in a sense, he's confined to 24-hour, seven days a week 
physical nursing care. But instead of that being an obstacle to Clay, instead of that being an obstacle to his joy, it was a source of his joy. It gave him joy. His situation is bad as it is because it gave him an opportunity to do two things. It gave him an opportunity to have fellowship with other Christians and to partner together with them to grow in the faith and to share the gospel, but it also gave him opportunity to share his faith with those that he is around literally 24 hours a day. And so this morning, Clay shows us what Paul is going to show us, that there are at least a couple sources of joy for the Christian. That's where Paul begins, with two sources of joy for the born-again believer. And we see that in Clay's story. The first is gospel partnership. That is having friendships, partnering with other Christians for the sake of the gospel, and having deep-rooted, gospel-centered, Christ-loving relationships, gospel partnership, as well as what I'll call gospel proclamation. That is the joy of sharing the good news of Jesus. So let's get into the book of Philippians. If you are open to Philippians chapter 1, this is what we see. Paul begins with showing us joy and gospel partnership. He's going to say, this is one source of joy for me, and as our example, it's a source of joy for you. If you're a Christian, joy and gospel partnership. So he begins a letter in verses 1 through 11, and it begins very much like his other letters. It begins with a customary or a formal greeting. Remember, this is a letter. Just like you or I were to type a letter, dear mom and dad, dear Susie or Joe, this is what Paul is doing. And he begins with thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to, those in Philippi, and he offers a prayer for them. So let's read that together, and then I want to point out to you Paul's joy in gospel partnership. So let's read verses 1 through 11 together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people, or saints, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, that is the elders, and the deacons, <clears throat> grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins with his uh, thanksgiving and his prayer. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I remember I always pray with joy. Catch that. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so here he begins thanking God for them and praying for them. But what I want you to notice is something that is first found uh, in verse 5, I believe. Verse 4, In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? Joy. I always pray with joy. So he's praying He's many miles away, and he's remembering them, and he's praying for them, and in doing so, and in thinking about that relationship, what does he have? He has joy. He has joy in his relationship with them, but why? Look, verse 5, because of your partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel. 
from the first day until now. So from the very first, from the very first convert, from the very beginning when Lydia was born again and there, this little church in this, in this city was born, they began to share in Paul's work in sharing the gospel. They had given him money before and they gave him money now. That's why Paul is writing. And so he tells them that he has joy in them because of their partnership. The word in Greek is koinonia, which essentially is oftentimes translated fellowship. So think about it just for a second. Paul says, I have fellowship with you. I have joy because of my fellowship with you. Now, fellowship, what is that? Well, we often think of what? Coffee. We often think of uh, dinners and meals, right? We often think of games, and all of that can be fellowship. I'm not not knocking that, but we often think of fellowship just in terms of just casual relationships, having a good conversation over dinner. And that, in a sense, is fellowship, but it goes much deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. In fact, one, one commentary uh, defines it this way. It says it's a joint participation in a common interest in a, and activity. That is, a joint participation, two groups participating together in a common interest and a common activity. So let me ask you, What was the common interest that Paul had and the common interest that this church had? Well, the common interest was Jesus, right? They were both interested in Jesus, and the common activity was spreading the gospel, was sharing the good news that they had been changed by to other people, by supporting him financially. So he begins by saying, listen, I have great joy. I think of you. You share in the gospel with me. I have a relationship with you. You partner with me so that more people can know Christ. And that gives me great joy. Not just the sharing, but the relationship. Now notice again in verse 7. It probably doesn't show up in your translation, but this word, koinonia, shows up again in verse 7. My uh, NIV reads this way. Whether I am in chains, he says, or am defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share. All of you share in God's grace with me. Your translation may say uh, uh, you're you're a participant, a co-worker, a co-participant. It's soon koinonos. It's having fellowship with. It essentially means working together or being colleagues with. He says, listen, whether I'm enchained and sharing the gospel or whether I'm out free and sharing the gospel, you all share with me. You, 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 You are co-workers with me. And so... What we've seen so far is that the fact that he has a relationship with these other Christians and they care about Jesus and they care about sharing his gospel gives him joy as a Christian. But let me ask you a question. Do you think this relationship that Paul had with these Christians was merely like a business relationship? Was it like, oh, you write me a check and I write you a thank you letter and that's fine. Okay, thank you. We may have a conversation when I see you, but I don't really enjoy your presence. I don't really like you that much, but I like your money, so keep sending it, right? Do you think it's that kind of relationship? No. I mean, I hope it came through when we read this, but, but notice what he says about them. He says, I, I, he says, I have you in my heart. When you say to your spouse or your your beloved or your boyfriend, you're in my heart. That's a tender phrase, right? You're close to me. And then notice what he says, maybe even more tender. He says, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's spelankna in Greek, which essentially means the gut. So he's saying, from my gut, from my intestines, I long for you. I want you. I want to be with you. Does that sound like just a business relationship? Not at all. Not at all. So here's the point. Here's the point. The point here is this. Genuine friendships 
genuine friendships with other Christians who cared about the gospel, genuine friendships with other Christians who cared about the gospel and helped Paul advance the gospel was a source of joy for him. And Christian, it can be a source of joy for you. And it can be a source of joy for me. So there is joy for the born-again believer in what I will call gospel friendships, gospel partnerships. That is common ties, common faith in Jesus Christ. And then your roots, your friendship, your relationship with this other person or persons just goes, goes deeper and deeper and deeper because it's based on your, the common interest of Jesus and the common activity of sharing his gospel. So let me share with you uh, another couple quick stories. As I think about my life, I, don't, I wouldn't say that throughout life I had m- lots of friends. I was never one to have 10 friends and they would all come over, but I would always have a few friends. Uh, a few good friends, and this has been pretty common throughout my life, and uh, that's fine. That's how God uh, made me, and yet some of these friendships that I've had have been the deepest and the sweetest and the richest and the most encouraging friendships that I've ever had. I think of one in particular. I may have shared about this man before. His name's Billy Cash. He is what I would consider my best friend. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Billy and I grew up together in a sense. He was a year older than me, but we grew up in the same town, one block away. Uh, But I I was not friends with him until I was 15, maybe a sophomore in high school, and I became a Christian. I was born again, and uh, that ignited a lifelong relationship with this friend, Billy. I was not friends with him before because he loved Jesus, and I didn't care about church. I didn't care about anything about religion or anything like that. Billy was a Christian. I didn't like him. In fact, truth be told, I I didn't really, I didn't care for him much. I'm born again. I place my faith in Christ. And lo and behold, I like this guy. And we have this wonderful, deep, rich relationship. And we partner together. We talk. And it's sweet. We talk about things of Christ. We talk about the church. Talk about the gospel. Talk about what God is doing in our lives. And it's a sweet relationship. I know my wife has had a a few of these relationships. If you ask her about it, she would probably uh, name a a young lady uh, by the name of Katie Clark. Katie Clark? Katie Jimenez. Now Jimenez. And uh, same thing. They would meet together. They would pray together in college. Their common interest was Jesus. And these kind of friendships, these kind of relationships, if you have had one, if you're a Christian and you've had one, then you know what I'm talking about. They are sweet. They're so sweet and rich. And it's not because we're the same age. We both like sports or I like football and he likes football or she likes to sew and I like to sew. That's not the basis. The basis is Christ. And from there, the relationship flourishes. And so where do we find joy? The first thing I think Paul tells us is that joy is found in gospel partnership, in gospel friendships. So let me ask you, do you have any friendships like that? Do you have any relationships with other Christians that encourage you in your walk? They encourage you because they love Christ and they want to make you love Christ more when you talk with them? Is your common interest the gospel of Jesus and growing his kingdom or not? So Christian, Christian, if you want to have joy, the first thing Paul tells us is to develop Christ-centered, gospel-proclaiming relationships. 
joy and gospel partnerships. But that's, that's not all. He moves on in his letter. He moves from this formal greeting. He thanks them and he prays for them. And he moves on to talk about his, his, his life, what's going on. He, he gives them a personal update. Remember, he's in chains, right? And they know that. And so he writes to them and he says, this is what's been going on. And he wants to encourage them. And he gives them, I think, a second and gives us a second source of joy for the Christian. Not only joy in gospel partnerships, but joy in gospel proclamation. Joy in sharing the gospel. So in verses 12 and 13, this is what he does. In verses 12 and 13, first, he tells them about his situation, about how his imprisonment is not actually hindering the gospel. Remember, why was he in prison in the first place? Because he was talking about Jesus, and they didn't want him to. So they sent him to prison, and he's uh, awaiting a trial, essentially, appeal before Caesar, the ruler of the world. He's awaiting this appeal, and he's in chains, and he's, he's going to tell this church, listen, I know I'm enchained. I know they've, they've, in a sense, stopped me from preaching the gospel where I want, but the good news is that you can't stop the gospel. You can't chain it, and so he wants them to know that his imprisonment has not at all hindered gospel proclamation, but it has merely given him a new avenue for sharing the gospel. Notice what he says in verses 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So what has happened here? They said, we don't want you to share about Jesus. Go to jail. And he says, you're going to stick me in jail? I'm going to share the gospel in jail. Now, notice, this is fascinating. What they did, most likely, is we know historically uh, that Caesar, that is the king of Rome, had his own set of elite soldiers that essentially guarded prisoners that were very important, kind of like Paul. So they were like super uber good soldiers, right? They're the best of the best, okay? And these are the guys that were in charge of, uh, of watching over imperial, imperial captives like Paul. And what they would do is they would take these soldiers and they would chain one arm of the soldier and then they'd be chained to the prisoner for like hours upon hours and then they'd take shifts, right? So Paul is chained to these super fighter guys all the time. So what does he do? He has a captive audience. (laughs) They can't leave. He can't leave. So what does he do? Hey, let let me talk to you, right? Hey, let me share with you why I'm here. It's not because I'm a criminal. It's not because I hate Rome. It's because Christ is king. And so he starts to talk to these soldiers, these guards about Jesus. And what happens? It's amazing. You don't have to flip there, but at the very end of the book, we get just a little hint because Paul in his greetings says this, all of God's people here send you greetings. That is, the Christians here in Rome send you greetings back in Philippi, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So what has happened? He's most likely shared with these guards and then maybe they become Christians or then maybe they talk to people within Caesar's household, his family. And it's not just limited to his family. The people who serve, who work around Caesar's palace and word goes out that there's this guy in prison and he's there, well, maybe wrongly, but he's talking about this king, this new king, Christ. And word gets around and some people become believers so that he can say, hey, some of the believers here in Caesar's household sends greetings. It's amazing. 
It's amazing. And so he begins by saying, listen, uh, this is how my gospel proclamation is going. But then he shares something else. In verses 14 and 18, second, he says, listen, uh, gospel, the gospel has not only been shared by me because of my imprisonment, but the gospel now is being shared by other Christians in Rome, not in chains, uh, because of my imprisonment. Notice what he says. Verses 14 through 18, he's going to talk about two different groups who are sharing the gospel because of his imprisonment, and yet they had two very different motivations. Verse 14, if I can find it. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So there's the first group. It is true that some preach... Christ out of envy and rivalry. There's the second group, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So here's most likely what's going on. We don't know for sure, but there's uh, Christians, maybe pastors, maybe just Christians in Rome, and they see that Paul's in jail. And he's taking a stand. He's being bold. He doesn't care if he dies to live as Christ, to die as gain. And the other Christians are like, if Paul can do that, then I can be bold. I can share the gospel more. And so that's happening. Other Christians in Rome are sharing the gospel. The gospel is being talked about even more boldly. And Paul's like, wonderful. This is good news. The first group had good motives. They were motivated by goodwill, by love for Paul. But then there's this second group, which is very intriguing. My wife asked me this the other day before I was done with my sermon. I was like, well, I don't know. I think this is what's going on. But I think this is what's going on. There's another group of Christians, maybe pastors, maybe Christian leaders. We don't know. But they are sharing the gospel, but their motive is very different, right? Did you notice what the motive was? Envy, right? They were motivated by envy. They were motivated by rivalry. And they sought by preaching the gospel while Paul was in prison to somehow do him harm. So what's going on here? Well, this is my take on it. I think probably what was going on is when Paul made his way, way, his way into Rome, he is a prominent, well-known Christian. He's getting publicity. He's getting interest. And if you were a Christian, say pastor or leader uh, at, that, at that time, and all of the talk suddenly is not on you, but it's on Paul. And it's not about maybe your church, but it's about what Paul's doing. And all of the talk, all of the pub, all of the publicity, it's going to Paul. And if you're sharing the gospel, and if you care more about you than Jesus, you're not going to like that. You're not going to like what Paul's doing. And so they were sharing the gospel, seeking, oh, I'm going to, now Paul's in prison. He can't do that anymore. Um, so they were self-seeking. They were seeking to cause him harm. And let me say, uh, unfortunately, that this happens today. Uh, among pastors, preachers, Christians. We fight for fame and publicity. We fight for book deals. We fight for parishioners, for people in our pews. We fight uh, uh, each other. We have an us versus them mentality, my church versus, versus their church. But the astonishing thing is that in spite of these ill motives, what does Paul say uh, at the very beginning of 18? But what does it matter? But what does it matter? He's like, who cares, right? Who cares? And here's why. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I what, church? I rejoice. I rejoice in it. 
He's like, hey, I don't care what their motive is. Are they talking about Jesus, his perfect life for our sins, his death on the cross in our place, how it takes God's wrath? Are they sharing about his resurrection and how through faith we can be made right with God? Yeah, great, I rejoice. I don't care if they seek to hurt me. Are they telling the truth? Yes, he rejoices. He rejoices. And so the same is true for me and you. The point here is that Jesus and his gospel proclaimed was a source of joy for Paul. And as our example, it should be, can be, a source of joy for us too. And so let me ask you a few questions. And these are hard questions. The book of Philippians is extremely challenging, and it should be for us. So do you find joy when the gospel is preached? Do you find joy when you hear it on the radio? Do you find joy when you read it in your Bible? Do you find joy when you hear a preacher on TV or on the radio and he articulates a a pure gospel? Is there something inside of you that says, yes, that's right, I love it. Is that true of you or is it not? When you get emails like the one that I got, uh, I think just yesterday, uh, by the way, if you don't get emails from us, we do announcements and missionary emails. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. That's a s- shameless plug. But uh, we got this email yesterday from our missions committee, and uh, it's from Joel and Sally Kaufman. They are uh, missionaries of ours in Japan. And uh, I want to know, when you get these things, first of all, do you read them? And then second of all, when you read them, like, do you find, is there something that stirs your heart when you hear about what they're doing? So for instance, he, he writes, Sunday afternoon, I walked into the church to get some gospel tracts for our coffee house next door and noticed a couple quietly sitting in the front bench. I went up to them and asked them if they were Christians. They said they weren't, but that they had uh, visited the Shinto shrine and now had come to our church to pray. That is Japan. I asked them if they would like to hear a short explanation of what Christians believe. They seemed eager to hear, so I shared a short presentation of the gospel. After that, we walked to the front of the church and looked at the old pictures of missionaries who had come to Kairazawa, which is the city they were in, after, uh, over the past 100 years. At that point, Mrs. Gochu, let's say, was her name, because uh, I can't pronounce it, started to tell me about her sister who had died recently. She broke into tears, sobbing that she had no hope. My heart went out to her, and as we talked some more, I was able to give her and her husband some DVDs, a New Testament, a Jesus manga, which is like a little cartoon thing, and gospel literature written by, uh, by Japanese who had experienced tragedy in their lives. Please, play, uh, please pray for the family, uh, that the family will use the information I gave them and will meet with me again. So let me just ask you, this is a gut check. Does that well anything up inside of you? I mean, like, does it make you say, Joel, great job. You shared the gospel. They can have hope now if they believe in Jesus. I mean, is there something that stirs you? Or do you just not give a flip? I mean, really, do you just not give a flip about the gospel? So, two reasons. If you find yourself saying, this guy's crazy and he's excited for no reason. If you find yourself saying, I don't think I've, Really, that doesn't make me happy. <laughs> I don't. If it sounds weird to you, if it sounds awkward, if you can't ever imagine finding joy in gospel friendships with other Christians and then in the preaching of the gospel, if it doesn't stir your heart, it could be one of two things. Number one, it could mean that you're not a Christian. 
It could mean that you've never been born again. It could mean that your heart is dead and that you're alienated from God and that you're on the path to destruction because you've not trusted personally in Jesus. Because when you trust personally in Jesus, your heart changes. You begin to love the things of God and you begin to love the gospel. And here's why. Why do you love the gospel if you're a Christian? What changed you? What changed me? Was it my good works? Was it being a good boy? Was it getting this awesome job here and I can preach to you every week and it's a great gig? Was it because I wanted to move from Texas to to cold Illinois? No offense. No, (laughs) that's not it. It's because I love the gospel. It's because the gospel is about a person whose name is Jesus who saved me and changed me. That's why I love the good news about Jesus. Does that make sense? And so therefore, if you don't love the good news about Jesus, then maybe he didn't change you. And so I beg and plead, if that's you, don't believe the lie that you're a Christian because you come to church, because you grew up in church, because you just believe something, some set of doctrine, but your heart is not warmed by the good news in the person of Christ. The late preacher, J. Vernon McGee, oh, he's, he's wonderful. The late preacher, J. Vernon McGee, if you've heard him on the radio, it's, it's, uh, it's very distinct, his style. He says this, in, in Philippians, Paul calls these people saints, they're Christians. He makes this comment, the human family is divided into two groups, the saints and the ain'ts. Simple enough, the saints and the ain'ts. And so let me ask you, which one do you belong to, friend? Are you a part of the saints or are you a part of the ain'ts? If you don't love the gospel and if you don't love the person who the gospel is about, then it's very likely that you are a part of the ain'ts, but you can become a member of the saints and we'll share with you how to do that in a second. Number two, maybe you are a Christian. Listen, there are a ton of people that I know, including myself, if I'm honest, in my own life, I know that I'm a Christian that I've been born again, but there are times when the gospel doesn't stir my heart. You know, why is that? Well, let me just give you this suggestion. It may be that the gospel gives you no joy, or not joy now, because, well, there was a time when it did, and there are times when it does, but maybe it doesn't as much as you would like. It doesn't arouse joy in your heart uh, because uh, joy in the gospel is tied to our closeness to, which, uh, to, to the one whom the gospel is about. Does that make sense? Our joy in the gospel is tied to our closeness to the one whom the gospel is about. And the gospel is about Jesus. So if we're close to Jesus, then it would make sense that we would find joy in the gospel. But if we aren't walking with Jesus, if we ignore him, like I'm terribly guilty of oftentimes, and we don't get in scripture, and we don't pray, we don't do gospel faith encouraging kind of things, well then it, it makes sense that we, we get away from Jesus, and when we hear about him, well, okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like the gospel. I believe it. But it just doesn't stir our hearts. And so maybe that's you today, and, and that's oftentimes me. Um, if, if we want joy as Christians, then we need to dive deep into the gospel again and again and pursue Christ with all of our hearts that I am guilty of not doing often. And as Jerry Bridges says, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's not just the way we become Christians, it's how we sustain our Christian life because the gospel is about Jesus. So, we have uh, learned a lot. I think we've learned a lot from my friend. Remember Clay? I hope you do. Muscular dystrophy uh, has limited him tremendously. And yet it was uh, remarkable when I got off the phone with him, he was brimming with joy. Brimming with joy. 
And he was brimming with joy because of a, a couple reasons. Because of his gospel partnership, because he had friends who were Christians, and they were going to study the Bible and grow in their faith together, and he was excited. And number two, he had joy because he had the opportunity, and he was scared to death, and he was like, I don't know what to say, and I'm going to embarrass myself, and I'm like, Clay, you're going to be fine. Just tell her what Jesus has done for you, and you'll be fine. And he was excited about sharing the gospel, about gospel proclamation to this cohort, this, uh, this lady who, who's, who, who's his, his caretaker, and he had great joy. Joy in gospel partnership, joy in gospel proclamation. He found great joy in these, and may we find joy in these two. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we are, we are idolatrous people very, very much, that we find joy in a whole lot of other things, and that's great. You have given us good gifts to enjoy, and yet we do not want to, to love the gift more than the giver, and we don't want to worship the gift and throw you aside. And so help us. Father, we want to fight for joy if we're Christians. We want to find joy, and you tell us where to find joy. It's in the gospel. It's in friendships that promote the gospel, that work together for the gospel. It's in sweet times of conversations and prayer with Christian brothers and sisters. That is a source of great joy. And I pray that you would provide these kind of relationships for us all. Father, we also confess that we oftentimes don't find joy in the gospel because we are far away from the one that it is about. And so help us, Jesus, to draw near you, to love you every day. And as we do so, may we see our joy in that good news grow. And so help us. Father, if there's a man or a woman, a child, or a teenager here, and uh, they are not a saint, but they are an eight, and they know it. They have not ever been born again. Their hearts are hardened. They do not love the things of Christ. They don't love his good news because they themselves have not been changed by it. May they now, may they now turn to you. May they pray. May they express their faith, recognizing the depth of their separation from you, that they deserved rightly punishment forever and ever because they have scorned the one who has created them and loves them. And may they trust in this good news that he loved them enough to send his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not ever perish, but would have eternal life. May they turn in faith and in faith alone and, and, and trust in Christ, and may they be born again. And may you then arouse in them a love for the good news of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and uh, do this. I'm going to offer this blessing over you. It's the prayer that Paul uh, prayed for this church, and I'm going to pray it for you now. So let's do this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in insight, so that you can, can discern what is best and pure and may be blameless until the day of Christ. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God and God's people said. Amen. Amen. See you next week.